The following is an archive podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled NaNoWriMo. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. Hey everyone, my name is Rich Felch, and welcome to hashtag NaNoWriMo. I, uh, I think that's how that's pronounced anyway. A podcast dedicated to providing inspiration, insight, and tips to help you finish your first novel. It's a big deal, guys. I am joined by my two close friends, uh, and first, but not least, is my friend GHJ Pemberbrook. Say hi, GHJ. Oh, good to good to be here, Rich. You know, I'm I'm amazed that I got a minute away from my manuscript. You know, we're getting toward the end of this month. I've just been writing and writing. Oh, uh, same here. I'm sure. You know, as we all have, it's almost a a welcome respite. And uh, to the left, right here, is a close friend of mine and a huge inspiration, Colin Knightwood. So say hi, Colin. Uh, well, Rich, the feeling is mutual with you and GHJ. You guys are always uh, encouraging me with my writing, and I find it very refreshing at times. Um, I think this is the only time any of us write any time throughout oh, yeah. the year. Well, Just like this podcast would probably be once a year, you know, um, it being National Novel Writers Month and everything. And I'm excited to actually, you know... You know, dust off the dust, get off the rust, and crack my knuckles and start writing some stuff. Get the dust off that dust. Last year's dust has been replaced by this year's dust, and we are all hovering over our computers, ready to hopefully make the you know the next Faulkner, the next J.K. Rowling, the next uh, you know great character like Lee Child or, or Jack Reacher. Uh, we're all out there. We're all ambitious. And it's been, you know, I, I've been having a lot of fun this year. I, you know, you guys have been working hard. You guys been having fun on this? I you know, certainly have. Go ahead, GHJ. Oh, it's just real touch and go, you know. Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to write 10,000 words today. And then in an hour, I'm like, is napping part of the writing process? Oh. <laughs> Too true. Yeah. I've you been know, having a lot of fun thinking about writing. Oh, yeah, me too. Thinking about my characters, daydreaming about what they're going to do, what great adventures they're going to go on. You know, it's really just the potential that really, you know, is so... Right. I like to begin know. to think about almost writing something, and then you just get caught up in that thought, and you don't... I haven't written much, but you oh, know, just yeah. thinking about it is really fun to do, and it's yeah, and exciting. Then, like, the potential. Start, I know the potential's in me. I'll start writing something... And then I'm like, do I want to use an N dash or an M dash here? So then I, you know, I start talking to all my writer buddies. We talk about dashes and commas and semicolons, and we just like do that for everyone, six hours. Uh, uh, ten drinks later, everyone's arguing, and people are like, oh, you know, yeah. threatening to beat each other. That never happens, of course, yeah. because everyone is usually probably falling asleep. Or and then know. somebody says a great semicolon joke, and everybody's right back together. Hey, don't get me started on Oxford commas. Like, oh, oh he God. went. Oh. It's like, all right, Grandpa, like, enough, enough. Oh, yeah. Does a fiction novel need to be MLA sourced? Uh, come on, guys. <laughs> oh, come on. But we love them. I love everybody out there because we're all do, trying to do the same thing. You know, we're all trying to make a novel. I'm, you know, this well, is my first year not, doing it. It's not, we're all trying to, we all have the same goal, but we're all doing right. it in different ways, which what makes it interesting. And, you know, the thing I found most intriguing about now that I'm like a writer, right, is you just see the world differently, you know? Like, as a writer, you know, as a normal person, you might go into a convenience store and you think, you know, I want a Gatorade. 
I want a coffee. You know, I want this. I want that. As a writer, you, you, you look at the cash register guy and you're like, what's his story? You know, he's got a name tag. I'm not going to read it. But what's his story? You know, and then you salt- start writing a backstory from right then and there. Yeah. This salty old codger. He must have been a sailor. Uh, well, you know, and or then something I tell like him, that. I tell him that I'm working on my novel and he says, oh, I'm working on a novel too. And then I just scoff with disdain like, yeah, like you, okay, a lowly yeah. cashier capable of yeah. writing a novel. <laughs> Please. Yeah, like The guy who is, you know, delivering your mail, he could be an older gentleman. You see a, maybe a tattoo on his arm. You're like, well, this guy, he could have been a cowboy. Oh, he could have been a killer. He could have been a. He could have been. He could. It could have been a cold case. He could have been a rapist. You know. That now that I'm a writer, my imagination just starts going wild. You know, and uh, uh, more even more fun than the imagination going wild. I love talking about my book. You know, I'm working on it, but I love talking about the plot. I love all the attention. I love you know going to my wife and saying, "Listen, you know, in my new novel, you know, you know, alcoholism may be a theme." And they're enraptured. That's just like, like, oh, and I love that feeling of, you know, you know, talking about my novel and talking about all the stuff I'm going to write, you know, because I, you know, you know, talking about a twist, you know, I've been playing in a big twist. See, that's what I like about your work, Rich, is you've got so many ideas and just this crazy imagination. But sometimes I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm a genius, but I have no ideas. Oh, I feel the same way. I have multiple conflicting feelings at all time, but you know, the adrenaline just kind of like pushes me through it. Um, what kind of ideas are you ending up? Uh, are you struggling with uh, GHJ? Should I say Pemberbrook or your full GHJ? I mean, I really would prefer you say the. It's a pen name, and since I took the time to invent it, I think you should really say the whole thing every time. It's kind so of so you want us to call you GHJ Pemberbrook every time. Yeah, I think so. Because it's disrespectful to the work I did to come up with that. If you're just shortening it. Like, oh, I'm going to read half your book? No. So why would uh, why would you read half oh, my Oh, that's name? true. You know, well, I would like, hate would it you, if somebody would, would read you call half my book. Rich and I by our full names every time? I don't think that's necessary. Oh, well, those are your birth names, I thought. No, oh, those no, are also these pen, are names. pen names. Oh, I oh could God, never. I'm so sorry. Do you want, <laughs> Certainly can, not. Do you want me to call you by your full names then? I mean, if you want... I okay, mean, I'm Colin, not going to fight Knightwood, you. Knightwood, anything, anything for you. Hey, All just right. don't call me crazy. Hey, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Y'all know who said that. That's no. a line you could what? use. You could use that line. That's a usable what? line. What is that? What does it mean? It's a good line. J.J. Uh, Pemberbrook, let's just talk about your ideas. What have you been talking about or yeah, thinking about? Let's talk about? about your ideas. Okay, well, What's fun for you to think about? I've got to say, you know, lately I've become a little bit of a Stephen King buff. Um, mainly because I admire his work ethic. So, you know, I was reading a thing on the internet. I think maybe it was his Wikipedia um, where he said that he likes to write 2,000 words a day. So now that it's NaNoWriMo, you know, I'm trying to write 2,001 words every day just to put in that little extra so I can get above his level, you know? Um, Steve and Emperor over here. Yeah, oh, that could be a, that I, could I be a funny joke. That. That's a new that pen could, name right there. You should there, write right? that down if you have like a little. Oh my god, you know, I will. I have a notes app on my phone that's full of gems. You know, every time I have an idea, it's full of gems. Why well, I, I have a moleskin? I have a moleskin where I like to write that kind oh, of idea. I should have got a moleskin. Uh, but that it's too I have slow a writing it by hand to write a book that way, so I do it on my computer. Right, I have a moleskin as well, and I'll jot down my little notes so I can put them in my notes app later. So it's kind of like a, a mashup of your guys's methods, but oh, absolutely. To actually celebrate me. 
deciding to do NaNoWriMo, my wife got me a moleskin blazer. Ooh. I guess it's a lot of moles. I'm not... That is a lot of moles. Good. I'm not sure. But, you know, I feel like a writer, you know? I like to sit there and I'll put on my my glasses and, you know, horned rim glasses, of course, you know, and I'll slick my hair back. I'll have my little... Little, uh, little jangly mm. cup of scotch. You know, I don't you drink. Kind, you kind of did. You kind of did that weird. You kind of uh, had that guy come in and set up that typewriter to be the keyboard for your computer, which is very clever. Well, you, you know, said you like the tactile feel of it. I'm like, well, you can. Me you and know. my wife have made a lot on our Airbnb, and you know, I always enjoyed. You know, she decorated it, and it kind of has like this Wes Anderson type feel to it. You know, rustic. Where she you, she can put out her favorite books. You know, she decorates the whole thing. She goes to Big Lots. She gets like four paintings, puts them in all the bedrooms and whatnot. But you know, made some good money. So I decided, you know, I'm gonna really do this this year since people always said I look like a guy who writes a book. You know, well, with like that moleskin blazer. I mean, it's most people write down their stories or their ideas in a mole skin you got the whole story right in that book with you it's like you're wrapping yourself you're becoming the moleskin book yourself the story's oh, within yeah. you it's coming from you and you so, know yeah no it's like i, and that's, it, it oh, I should sense. actually write that down i could use that in my the books story <laughs> and then i might write that down too uh, well i i'm right i wrote it down oh okay well i'll let you some people you on like kinda... the on like the subreddit both read our stories they're gonna be like well they just well you know it's fine people really don't like plagiarism people get really upset about plagiarism i have plenty (laughs) of great stuff in my in my docs already uh like i have probably don't need it so i'll just take it i'll take that idea i have this written down it's a um the nyquil imperative i thought that Mm. could be a good title of a book do you have like a a synopsis about that or is this a title like just a title just the title i kind of work backwards Uh, i work back i start at the title you know i try to think Mm. of a cool title and then i kind of work from there a little bit so you start at the very beginning the title and you work your way forward page by page making it to the end to the end so you don't have an ending in place first no like a lot of writers they'll have they'll come up with the ending first like it was right you know they'll say okay in this one you know the grandpa turned out to be like a past version of himself you know it wasn't him at all and oh. then, you know i'll think of that as the ending and then i'll start working backwards towards the title mm. so well, the title know, would be something called like you know the grandpa imperative the grandpa ooh, grandfather grandfather yeah yeah and then i'll more. be like well how do i bridge that ending and that thing. And, you know, it's mostly, you know, I got a big whiteboard and I just write out different names and, you know, sometimes it works. I usually like to start by imagining the kind of book jacket quotes I would like to get from famous authors. Oh, yeah. And then I try to think of what would have impressed them so much that they said all those nice things about me. And I'm just like, oh, man, what would they like? What would they like? You know, and that's how I come yeah. up with my ideas. Yeah. And like you can, we can all figure out, you know, some of the stuff of of great writers, right? They, well, Stephen you know, they, King might write on your book, simply amazing. Oh I'm yeah, about that. But then, what I, would he think is simply amazing? That's what I'm racking my brain over, you know. I'm imagining getting a quote, um, you know, from Tom Clancy, and it, and the quote says at the beginning of the, my book, uh, you know, I can't believe what the gun did. Chuck <laughs> Palahniuk scared the fuck out of me. Of course, it'd be censored, but you know, Planet, oh, you can't censor little, the man. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, he's gonna say he's gonna say what he says. He's crazy. Wait, what you about know, this the, one? What about this one? Moby Dick said it's a whale of a book. <laughs> That's Moby Dick's not a guy though. 
No, it was written. But by I guess Cap- characters Captain in books Ahab. are just as real as real life. Yeah, he told Captain Ahab what he thought of the book, and he transcribed it for him. You know, I could if I wrote a famous character. You know, that's my character. I came up with a character. So you know, we're going to see. I think authors should do this. It might help them make some money if they use their characters in commercials. Oh, you know? like if J.K. Rowling had um, Harry Potter say, yeah. "It's a magical book on your on your book jacket." Well, no, I'm talking about Harry Potter. Even you know. Saying, hey, I'm Harry Potter and I'm here to say, you know, on behalf of, you know, BP, and we're sorry about the oil and we're sorry about spilling it and we're going to use our magic wands to clean it up. I, I got to ask you, Rowling could make a lot of money from that. Do you guys actually, I mean, if someone were to write me one, some very famous wrote an introduction to my book, of course I would read it, but otherwise I never read them. I blow right past that. Like, who cares? Oh, yeah. But when it's my book and they're talking about me, I think that'd be really exciting. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah. Well. All right. Let's uh, let's start with, uh, I wanted us to kind of come and give some tips, if you guys would be down for that. Uh, kind of give some tips to people who might be listening, who might be struggling either to come up with ideas or, you know, how to manage their day. Because, you know, mm. you know, COVID's here, guys, and it's not going away. It's here to stay. You know, because some people don't want to get vaccinated, which is, you know, neither here nor there. But it ain't going anywhere. So, you know, we're going to have plenty of time at home. We're going to have plenty of time to order Uber Eats, to order Instacart. We're going to be ordering, you know, Grubhub. Amazon, right. we got Amazon well, Prime stuff. To, to that you effect, can get anything you want. To that effect, the global pandemic has had a significant effect on, you know, many writers I know, including myself. Oh, it's been quite you know, traumatic you, for writers. You know, I absolutely, think. and you, you know, before you just you know sit around and you know procrastinate on your writing and all that, right. or you could go to a cafe. Do, um, yeah. where, you know, there's a nice barista that, you know, and, uh, her name is Megan and, you know, she has you might strike up casual she conversation. Has some, you know, she's got some cool piercings on her ear and, uh, that's like kind of inspiring. You see that you meet these young people and, you know, they have like young bodies that are, uh, alive and you see that and you're out and you're seeing people well, you know, and they're, they're alive mature, and they're mature for their age. Um, and you go there and you write or you procrastinate at your laptop book in, you know, COVID for a while there. I mean, we're back, I would say we're kind of back, but for a while there, you couldn't do those things. And that's traumatic as a writer. How am I supposed to work if I can't leave the space that is impairing me? I mean, yeah, I you know, know what tra- that, trauma no, I is. Say, I would say that before COVID, I wrote a fiction book that began the writer stared at the blank page. He didn't know what to write. And then during COVID, I wrote a nonfiction book that started exactly that same way. I got all this time, but I don't know what to write. And, you know, sometimes nobody ever talks about writer struggles, right? Because everyone's dream is to be, you know, this writer who's sitting there writing. And everybody wants to be the writer, right? But only a few people really have, you know, I guess I would call it the writer's soul, I guess we have the writer's soul that makes us want to like. I I would say I we have like, the writer's soul. No, I, I no, take I the agree. pen and just create. That's what I want to do. Oh, of course, because the writer at the end of the day is the utmost genius of society. Is that not right? Oh, I think I that's mean, a little bit self-indulgent. However, but the writer would... is just a little bit too tortured to get there easily. Unfortunately, if you well, ask me, the, the writer doesn't write because he wants to write. The writer writes because he must write. He simply must. And he's oppressed. 
you know, writers and have always hate been writing. Oppressed. All of us hate writing, but it's the only way that we can live. It's like ripping your soul out of your chest every day and putting it on a page that says the writer looked at the page and didn't know what to write. That's a little bit of a soul ripped out and you can the never get it back. The was quiet. He hadn't heard it this quiet since he was a boy. The striped bird went cuckoo, cuckoo. You know, the warbler's like trestle. That. The warbler's trestle was incessant. You know, there's there's this story just waiting to get out of me, but I don't know what it is. You know, so one of my pieces of advice for aspiring writers is just look around the room and see what there is. Right, like the coffee pot. Maybe the coffee pot and the candle are having a conversation. Wait, but it's like a metaphor for my struggle of this life and being wait, depressed wait, wait. about being a writer. Wait, wait, wait. Is that how you came up with the character of Ronald Coffee Pot? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that character has so many dimensions that by the end of the book, you're like, he oh, he's like a metaphor really of a, of a, a human really being. That character. was a crazy. <laughs> I that started, yeah, right here on my kitchen counter, honestly. Oh, because I remember Ronald Coffee Pot was a very jittery person. That's clever. Yeah. Do you remember how that book started, uh, actually? It was like the writer stared at the blank page and didn't know what to write. He reached for his cup of coffee, and then Ronald Coffee Pot said, "Hey, don't touch me!" And the writer and, said, "And then what? you can talk." Ronald, <laughs> and then Ronald was very dark. His life is a very dark life. He, he was, was always, a very yeah. bitter man. He's a very bitter man. Oh, and like then the coffee that contained that change, within his soul. I won't reveal what the change was in the story, but a change comes in a very rich change in his life that enriches his life, which is kind of like adding a bit of cream or sugar, you know? Exactly. We see that actually happen literally. Which is very understandable to us writers because we love our coffee. Oh, that's a oh, part of the writing process, too. I, if I, I would say, say that's so. the most important part. Uh, here's my tip to struggling writers. Uh, make a pot of coffee because uh, you're going to be there a while. <laughs> I can't and, even you know, think until like I drink two pots. Something we were getting at earlier of coming up with the title first, coming up with the book jacket quotes you imagine first. I think that's a good way to get the juices flowing. Uh, you could come up with an award speech first. You can oh, imagine yeah. winning the Nobel Prize. Well, you can Pulitzer, get, you can commission Pulitzer, someone to do the artwork yeah. before you've written anything. Oh, you yeah. can imagine um, the heartbreak you feel when you and your wife have to separate because your success has alienated you from oh, each yeah. other, and you act like it's tearing you up inside. But deep down, this is what you've always wanted. I mean, that's just you know the dream. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I have a very supportive spouse who, you know, I lined up everything I needed when I'm doing NaNoWriMo. I'm like, I'm going to need you to bring me meals. I'm going to need you to not bother me or bother me when I want to be distracted. I'm going to need you to inspire me. Um, you know, it's a very sexual book. So it's like I, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want or deserve sex, but I need like, even if I'm not like working for it or like trying hard in the relationship that there, it's, there's a semblance of it there. I don't know. It's hard it's like to putting say out these some things. food on a tray. I mean, like you, here's your dinner. You can eat it if you want. Yeah. You know, and you know, don't like, you know, sometimes I'm just not gonna, you know, clean myself like I like I should be doing and you know really it is a sacrifice to write a book like that you know people some people can deal with that and some people can't some people you know, do not know how to the biggest part with NaNoWriMo is focusing we're all procrastinators myself included guilty as charge you know you're you're saying I gotta work I gotta work and you're telling your spouse or your your partner 
how important it is. And then you don't do anything or write anything. Next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. and you're making a chocolate cake in the middle of your <laughs> kitchen. And you're going, what am I doing? What am I doing? What and it's I because doing? Yeah. you're doing everything you can to put off writing. And that's what's hard to get over. And you're eating this whole chocolate cake by yourself. And you pass out on the floor of your right. you know, your dining room. And, and, and you wake up. You wake up and you're so thirsty and you're like, well, I need some milk, but you don't have milk. You're out of milk. So you got to go to the store. Well, you can't right now. You got to go get milk. So it's just, it's just an endless, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started. Like, you know, like when you just get lost down a research rabbit hole, like I'll be on Wikipedia for hours reading about Stephen King. Next thing you know, I'm on the Maximum Overdrive page. Next thing you know, I'm watching The Room for some reason. Just, you know, the, the kind of research that goes into a book is insane. And and here's the thing. It doesn't always look like research to outside observers, but it's part of the process. That's what I have to say. Like, if you're writing a book, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll budget four hours a day to write this. That's not going to work, man. That's just not going to work. You have to budget at least 12 hours of self-care before you can even start worrying about actually writing anything down. But during that self-care, you're eating chocolate chip cookies. You're thinking about your character. How would he like chocolate chip cookies? You know, you're thinking about, OK, well, this story, you know, how much cologne does my protagonist and you might order one hundred and twenty dollars worth of cologne off the Internet <laughs> to try on yourself to see, you know, which one's the best that your character might use. These things don't look like work, but it is work. You know, it is work. You know, you're going to have to masturbate. You're going to have to eat. You're going to have to have Sleep. dinners, snacks, treats, Sleep, icing, coffee. Yeah. I mean, marijuana, you're going to want to drink a lot. You're going to want to start drinking a lot. It's just very, very time consuming. And, you know, one day you may write zero words and you might be drunk all day and high all day. And your but wife is you like, could be writing you in your head, though. You could yeah, be writing exactly. in your head. It's just the work you have to put in. And, you know, some people get it. Some people don't. Yeah. It's like if you want to write a novel, you have to literally inhabit that novel. Yeah. Not literally, but like all the time, you know? Right. If like, you have to do what you have to do to write, your partner is going to have to understand that. And you, you say that with the research. If I have to, I don't know if I have to have a short, small little fling with a younger woman to help me get my creative juices flowing, you know, to get in the mindset of a, you know, a cheater. Or a guy who's unhappy in his relationship, or someone who is trying to escape and he's trying to get away from the things that he should be committed to. Like you're writing, like I talked about putting it off. You can put off that writing by having an affair, but it could help you in the long run with writing. You know, writers which is what she doesn't understand. Right. Writers had very, well, I don't know about anything personally, but I, I would say writers typically have very messy lives. Like, uh, one thing I found to work is constantly calling my wife my muse. And, you know, if she says she wants to talk Very to somebody, old I'm like, school. oh, my muse, you're inspiring me so much. And that usually gets her off my back for like a day or two. And, I, you know, I love her, but, you know, I'm trying to write a book here. It kind of it takes precedence over our relationship. Which, which kind of like brings me back to my last point of having an affair. You might need an actual muse that isn't your wife. You might need to hire a woman that is, you know attractive and hangs around you and you just look at her and talk about culture and art and eat and you know make love and all those things together to help 
I'm not going to ever I, disparage anyone else's method or whatnot. You know, it might work for you. It might not. I'm not going to agree with him and say that everyone should pay a woman to hang out with them. You know, I, she's not paid. It's by her own. You know. Well, you said she admires my work. You said paid. You those are words you. Did use I? Say, well, yeah. I, I think sometimes in the minds of my characters, you know, it, it right, all blends right. together. You know, these well, days blend together. Her time with knowledge and, and attention and wisdom that you impart from your words. Right. No. Yeah. Right. No. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. On point. Ghj Pemberbrook. I guess. What were, I, what were you saying? Um. Uh, oh, tips, know, advice yeah. for writers. Right. We're not this cheating what, on our wives. I'm not. Well, no, no, like characters might. Right. Or right. something. I love my wife. She's my muse. I tell her that all the time to get out of trouble. Well, uh, as for other tips, I know a lot of people typically overemphasize plot, right? Where is this going? Where is this going to go? If I had any advice for a new writer, I'd say just write out the plot at the start and then just follow along with whatever you say to do. And if you think it gets boring, you can add a sex scene or you could add like a fight scene. Or, or someone wins the lottery at the casino. Classic book trope is somebody winning the somebody not a character you don't know winning the lottery is a <laughs> can really push, you know, the plot of a book along. It's like, oh, this guy's new and he just won the lottery. I wonder what he has to offer me. He's an exciting person. He just won the lottery and stuff like that. But uh, there's there's lots of ways to to drive action. Whether that you know you stick to the classic things of human nature. I mean, that's a. I mean, if someone wins the lottery, that's the most interesting man in any story. I would say if you don't want a character to kind of come in and take over, don't have a character win the lottery and all of a sudden became one of your main characters because they will steamroll. The most interesting man is a person who just won the lottery. You know. And you might find that that completely overshadows some characters you've or been working on. Or a man on. who just killed someone. Ooh, yeah. Or what a, if he a, killed someone and then right after he finished killing him, he scratched off the lottery ticket and was like, oh my God. What oh if... Oh my God. Hold on. I got an idea here, guys. And promise you're not going to steal it. What if the book ends with the main character winning the lottery? A different... Like, so he saw the killer scratch off his winning lottery ticket and I'm then he thought gonna, oh that'll never happen to me but then I'm he just also wins my moleskin they here they both just, win they both win checking the, some notes just ignore me I'm and then they have to split notes. the grand prize in half or did he win a second lottery that happened after? i think it's two independent lotteries <laughs> well then it's going to be the same state right so then what his about, lottery's going to be much smaller because someone just won oh the big here pot. we go i have another idea what if two guys see that the lottery announced on tv and one of the guys has the winning numbers, and the other guy doesn't, and he kills the guy for that ticket. Ooh. Oh, and he takes his face so he can impersonate him. No, I was going to say he just takes a ticket and claims the lottery, but that's a much better idea. Oh, yeah, lottery face? Money face? That's what it could L be called. Lotto face? Ooh, the money face. Ooh, what if the there's a book face. about a French guy who kills a Muslim, and he's like, oh, my God, why did I kill this Muslim? Ugh, sounds and so then, boring. then they throw him in the jail, though, and he's like, fuck, man, this sucks. Why did I kill that Muslim? And then they're like, do you have any last requests? And he's like, yeah, could I have a scratcher? And scratch, 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 scratch. He won the lottery. <laughs> wow. That'd be great. And then he could steal somebody's oh, he's just face. Doomed. Oh, what? Nobody wants to read about a guy who's doomed, you know? It's got Well, I mean, it's already pretty dark, you know? You have some religious angles, some racism in there. You have murder. Oh, yeah. 
Well, you know, we got you always have. I mean, to- you can't you can't have a character do a hate crime and end it with him winning the lottery and living happily ever after. But I mean, the, the just- man who wins the lottery is the luckiest man on earth. He can't well, die. Then it's, it depends on die. what the subtext is too. Because if the subtext is winning the lottery is awesome, why would you end it with, <laughs> you know, oh, he's a racist, so he can't enjoy, oh, though he's racist, he can't enjoy winning the lottery. That's yeah, not this? what, like, the book is about. The book is that well, winning I know, the lottery is awesome. I understand he nuance. Wins? You don't have to, this isn't... He wins the lottery, and then he donates half of the earnings to Muslims, then they let him free because that was so nice, and then he keeps the other half and he gets to live in a big house. Is that what would happen? Okay. Yeah. Well, what would you happen? What would you happen have happen if if a prisoner won the lottery? I mean, what would you do with that? I would say that if the prisoner won the lottery, the warden would take the ticket and kill him. The whoa! I guess you're a twisted guy. So he doesn't talk. One of those twisted guys. I mean, I you guys know me. I get dark. Oh man, you're part of my personality. Such a dark idea. Yeah, that's one way you can go for NaNoWriMo. I mean, it 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 may uh, ruffle a little feathers, but that certainly. I mean, it started dark. You guys can't just put that on me. It started dark. Yeah, but that was to contrast against the coolness of winning the lottery. It can't just be bleak the whole way. I think it's pretty bleak. Well, uh, if the guy wins the lottery and he's stuck in prison, he can't do anything with it. It's like the guy who breaks his glasses when he in the afterlife, where it's a library, you know. Well, well, uh, why doesn't he read the book really close to his face? He might have a different kind of even. Well, he he can read really far away from his face. He could probably find like a old lens crafters or something that's abandoned too. Yeah, he's got a lot of time. He could do anything. That'd be just stuck in a library. Well, he could leave the library, right? I mean, he chooses to be in the library. Maybe he's stuck in a are. hell where the money face is walking around. Ooh, maybe, maybe that's what happened to the world. And you realize the guy who won the lottery was Satan. Whoa. Like, what if Satan won the lottery and all the bad okay, things he could do? Okay, now we're like that? crossing yeah. into some, we're crossing we into some murky water there. Like, I'll talk about, you know, you know, crime, murder, rape all day long. But you start talking about the devil and all that. I, I try to steer clear. That like Dan Brown type of stuff. No, thank oh, you. Yeah. Too scary. Oh, man. It is really scary to imagine Satan winning the lottery. I mean, what if Satan so won many- the lottery and then he became a politician and he became the president? Oh no! What would that say about uh, Americans? You know, it says is, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about that. Well, idea. that would be a pretty strong condemnation of America to say Satan is the president of America. You know, I would say like you know maybe Satan becomes vice president and he's almost about to kill the president, but like the president's girlfriend saves him and like says he was Satan, and so it's like kind of like you know the the subtext of it is the system works. Satan could never be president. That's what the book's saying, right? <laughs> Well, uh, I have some. Uh, I I I figured this system out um, where I randomize a lot of plot elements and try to use that as a springing off point. And I was thinking that people listening, if they're having trouble coming up with some of their own ideas for NaNoWriMo, could uh, kind of piggyback off of this. Not oh, necessarily go that's a great idea. Books are just a bunch of random junk happening anyway. So uh, why not I randomize was- it? I was hoping we could show uh, some examples of this randomization and us three could kind of spin off and riff what a good book based around these elements would be. Now, of course, uh, all books have four main hinges, if you will. Beginning, middle, end, and a super big twist after the credits. Not necessarily, but pretty close. 
it's going to go, You first you got your protagonist. Who's the main person that all this stuff's going to be happening to, you know? Because all other characters are just going to be different shadows the protagonist leaves behind, right? So who's the main guy, right? Who, and then you have to figure out what's the conflict? What's going on here? What's the bad thing that's driving the protagonist to have to do something that pushes him along the adventure? But then you got to have your subtext where it's actually about something else. It's a metaphor for something else, right? And then last but not least, of course, is the setting. The setting gives you a lot of cool ideas about cool places it could be or cool things that could happen within this set of uh, uh, circumstances. So uh, if you guys are ready, uh, do you guys want to crank one out? All right, yeah. Let's get let's get uh, these numbers rolling and randomizing. All right, first up, the protagonist. Have a list of different protagonists here. Let's see what it winds up on. All right, the protagonist, a computer hacker. Oh. All right. So we got to imagine if this is set in the Middle Ages, that would be crazy. He's like, I don't got nothing to hack. All right, slow your roll, GHA Pember book. You know, they always say, write what you know. Right. But you can also write what you don't know and get good at that. Well, you can assume that your reader also doesn't know about it. So how are they going to know that you're doing a bad job? What are the odds that they're a hacker? Like one in a trillion. Yeah. What do I know about computer hacking? I barely know how to turn on a computer. Right. But I do know movies and movies will show them sitting in front of a green stuff with all the matrix and they're clacking away on the keys. So really all you need to know about a computer hacker is that they clack away on the keys and something happens somewhere else. Right. So let's get to the next thing then. Let's see what he's doing. All right. The conflict is going to be his wife or his or her wife and or husband gets murdered. Oh my oh. god. Oh. So we could well, have this it. Is setting it up for a good idea for a revenge. It's probably like a, a tit for tat hacker kind of situation where he right. killed a hacker's We're- spouse and they're killing his. Yeah. Or no no, I'm thinking like more like he's looking for revenge and seeking vengeance for his spouse. And then in the end, he finds out, you know, he's just as bad as that person in the end. Well, let's figure out what the subtext is. Oh, have, sorry. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. You're getting a little ahead of yourself because the subtext is going to be, okay, what's this book really about? How does this relate to what's going on in society Murder. today? And we got a computer hacker whose wife and or husband is murdered. Let's see what the subtext is going to be. Okay. Oh, the subtext is guilt, religious-based guilt. Uh-oh. Oh, classic. So think of, like, we could even have computer hackers in, what was that movie that was in Boston that had the two shitheads and they say the things and then they shoot the guns? Boondock Saints? It could be a kind of Boondock Saints. Like, I'm a computer hacker, and well, how does this? that fit oh, into, hackers, how does that fit into modern Catholicism? Thou shall not kill. He shouldn't kill the person. Also, uh, thou shalt not steal. Hacking is kind of stealing. Oh, that's true. Stealing information. That's very bad. But um, the hacker's wife who got killed, she was killed by the Catholic Church for not being a good enough Catholic. Oh. That would be interesting. All right. And now the piece de la resistance, the piece of resistance in French. Let's see where this takes place. Where or when. And this is going to take place on Christmas Day. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Catholics like Christmas. The contrast of all this darkness in such a merry and cheerful time in the year. Some say it's the greatest time of the year. 
in the most wonderful time of the year. And you, yeah, I mean, and then you're going to have this this murder. This could be a heavily Catholic themed movie, you know, where maybe Ca- she's, Christmas is a Catholic holiday. He gave up hacking for her, you know, because of her profound. And now he's got to go back to hacking because she's dead. He's got she's, but you know, he's going to hack in a Catholic way. He's going to be a Catholic hacker, maybe. Oh, he's going to do some Vatican hacking. You know, oh, or maybe he could. Oh, what about? It's called like the Vatican Initiative. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? The Vatican algorithm. Here we go. Okay. Now we know it's about a hacker. See, All I right, can we are stepping into Dan Brown territory here. The opening scene of that movie, based on the book, we see the snow falling outside first, and then we zoom into the window, and it's playing like ding 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 bitty doom boom boom bitty doom doom. But then suddenly we hear the clicking, like click 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 clack a clack clack, because he's away on his keyboard getting vengeance for the murdered wife. And he's yeah. not even celebrating Christmas on this day oh, of this holiest of a, days. A very, he doesn't very, even realize it's Christmas. If we're talking about a, a a movie adaptation, you know, maybe there's a slow mo part where someone's getting shot to death with a gun, but overlaying it is a slow, like you know, silent. Night. Oh yeah! Oh, wow. Yeah. Played on a piano, all sad. Hmm. You know, I'm kind of getting like Home Alone vibes, you know, where Home Alone's ne- not necessarily about Christmas, but, you know, he could be in a house, you know, hacking. Maybe he, he can't leave the house because, you know, maybe he's going to get killed by a maybe Catholic Maybe this is a Home Alone when he's grown up. And there's two Catholic oafs trying to break into the house. While there's he's two Catholic oh, yeah. priests that are trying to get to his house. To stop the hacking because he's hacking the Vatican. Yeah, but it's for good. Like it's it's it's, it's like a. I mean, it's revenge. Right. Maybe that is a pretty p- good strategy to stop hackers because you see so many things about hacking where they try to put up the firewall or whatever. Why don't you just go to the hackers' go, house? Go to their and house. Just go to their house and kill them or shoot them or yeah. whatever. But you know, this hacker he could have been ready for it. And you know what? Since he was Catholic, maybe he knows all the Catholic priest tricks. You know, there should be a scene where he goes to confession. They could come to his door and say that he they're there to do a house blessing. Or even just he could go to confession and say, like, uh, dear father, I'm a hacker. And they pull a gun. They, <laughs> get their, they have their guns. They point them at. And he just sees the outline of the gun through the, through the confession screen. And he ducks as a bullet hole goes ripping through. He gets in a huge gunfight. And he's just gunning down all these priests. He's like, I got to get to a computer. I, gotta, I, I imagine I imagine the conversation going down a little differently though, where he tells he says, Father, I hacked a lot of guys. And the father says, You hacked guys like with a machete? You're a murderer, so now we have reason to kill you and we're justified in our actions. And that's how they frame it. Oh, I, I know this okay, so the first the first the first book in this series, in the Vatican algorithm series, is called Midnight Mass. Ooh. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I hope there's not like twelve books already named that. Right. I'm sure there isn't. There's not that many Catholics anymore. So, so I think we got the the Vatican algorithm down. Uh, let's go ahead. You guys want to do another one? Let's do one more. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's figure out the protagonist. I said two more. Hey, okay. Why let's not? do ten more. Why don't oh, we just sit here, here we all go. day? I love I, hanging I, I, out. Some with... of us have novels to get back to. By the way. Yeah, I love right hanging out with the ro- writers. We're also in- inquisitive. <laughs> That's what I love about us. <laughs> We're the best. Anyway, the protagonist for the next minds. one. Ooh, the protagonist is going to be a lawyer. 
Oh, always spicy. A little bit different here. You don't know who his clients are going to be. You don't know what he's dealing with. Let's figure out what this lawyer's conflict is. This lawyer's conflict is going to be... Oh, this lawyer is going to be involved in a political scandal. Oh. Sounds pretty scary. Well, we don't know what kind of tone this political scandal takes until we figure out the subtext. So let's go ahead and jump to the subtext. The subtext is going to be... (laughs) Subtext is time travel. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's a political scandal that involves time travel that this Perhaps. Maybe he he goes back in time for the O.J. Simpson trial. Ooh. Maybe he time traveled to vote for his favorite candidate twice because he liked him so much. Ooh, that's also a good idea. You know what? Maybe maybe the setting will will clear it up a little bit. Let's see what the setting is going to be. And that is going to be taking place in a lighthouse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so all maybe right. he time tra- traveled throughout every era of American history to vote for all his favorite presidents. Oh, maybe the, the lighthouse is what allows him to time travel. Oh, okay. Oh. Maybe it was his grandfather's lighthouse. Mm, maybe. And his grandfather was Thomas Jefferson. Oh, you know what? Maybe. I think it'd have to be later. I think it has to be a higher up on the, you know, the Republican well, travels forward to our day. Oh, he could be an old timey lawyer. That's true. He could be from anywhere. He like could he be has a, a ca- wig. Yeah, you know these people in like the nineteen thirties or forties wearing their wigs all the time and powdering them up. You know, maybe there could be like an old timey witch scandal, and he travels far. He goes to the lighthouse to travel far in time, you know, to see if there's still political corruption going around. <gasps> and maybe he does this for every ten years. He goes forward another ten years, and then Wait, he's what like, if- "The political corruption doesn't get better." So it's my he stops time traveling and starts getting to work. But what if he went back to the Salem witch trials to show them the error of their ways? And he helped to elect a Salem witch as the first female president. Oh, yeah. It could be, it could, that's a big, that's a very positive, popular right now is feminism. You know, girl bosses and whatnot are very, very in in books right now. And she chooses to get um, sworn into office in the lighthouse, kind of as like a nod to how important oh. he was. Dude, and you know what? He's got to be protecting that secret, you know, because he's from the past. He doesn't know who like Keisha and is. And he's a witch now? No, he's, no, he's ma- helping a witch get elected to make uh, feminism happen. Maybe he could so marry he could the president. Well, I think she would be uh, a president. Yeah, she's the president. And then she confides in him after she becomes president. She's like, I got to tell you a secret. I'm actually a witch. Like, they didn't accuse me of and being then, one. I'm actually. And you know what he could say? I know. Oh, and that's okay. All right. Okay. So that I like. I what, do like that angle. What are we going to call this? The witch's lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> I like that title, The Witch's Lawyer. Like, it can't be literal meaning. If it's like, yes, it actually is. It's like he is the witch's lawyer. He's the witch's lawyer. And he you really know, is just the witch's lawyer. And you're the You're reading s- the book like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then you realize, oh, now I see. It's just literal. The Democrats and the Republicans are after him and they're like, where is he? He's in Salem witch times and he got a woman elected president by being her lawyer. Like <laughs> That's so inspirational to me. I'm thinking Bradley Cooper. Oh yeah, one. he would be a great and for the know, witch the, or no, no for the lawyer. What? You... Okay. No, the witch has to be like Brie Larson, of course. Love her. All right, uh, let's do one more. 
All let's right. do two more, I say. Oh, we could do two more. All right, let's run through this he one. He just real. wanted to do two more last time. All right, so we got a new protagonist, right? I'll make sure not to. If I get a double, I'm just going to repeat it in a different thing. All right, we got a secret agent up. Ooh. Oh. You get lots of stuff you could do Good with secret agents. for the paperbacks. Agent. They're always going to sell. Listen, secret agent stuff is always going to sell. CIA, ATF. We're always going to have old people, okay? All right, and let's see what the conflict is. One, two, three. Oh, this uh, secret agent is in enormous debt. Oh. <laughs> uh, maybe. You know, what about he did? I don't know what he did. I don't the know. The notoriously stingy Department of Defense stopped paying for all his travel and secret agent gear, so he was paying for it out of his own pocket. All right, and I got time travel again. Let's go ahead and do a different one. <laughs> Let's roll that again. Roll it back. Oh, and the psychedelics. The use of psychedelics and psychedelics' role in society is 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 a. Uh, he was buying some very CIA, expensive mushrooms. Did you know the CIA used to dose each other with LSD? Oh, maybe he was one of those guys. You know, well, maybe, and maybe now he's in too deep into the psychedelics, and he, he's 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 run up. He's all He's addicted this money. to them and in debt. He's addicted to you know <laughs> he's LSD. Addicted to mushrooms. He's got to take People LSD. People getting famously addicted to psychedelics. He gets addicted. He can't he can't get out of bed unless he has a little bit of LSD. You know. And uh, let's, well, let's let the setting decide. Yeah, that let's let the setting in. Let's see where he is at. And he is going to be in World War II. Oh, that's uh, that's a little bit before that time. That's a uh, oh, maybe he's OSS. Oh, he could be. Maybe uh, he's a maybe he's he's eating a bunch of mushrooms out of cow yeah, poop. Or something. I was gonna say maybe he got sent to go f- discover the world's first golden mushroom that the bad guys like Hitler and them found, and he gets the golden mushroom, but he eats it on accident, and then he goes crazy from tripping. You know what? Perhaps. I, you know what? I okay. I'll let you go. Then I'll tell you my idea. Well, maybe you should say yours, but perhaps he was, uh, you know, in all this debt and he was eating all these mushrooms and he was the one who accidentally um, discovered uh, penicillin. Ooh, that'd be a good one. That'd be happy. I even got, though that was even though that was in the late 19th century, it was a uh, well, he rediscovered it after people got bored of it. <laughs> Readers aren't going to know when or when not. Yeah, you can push it up to World War II. You can push it up to World War II. It was like the 20s when they actually did it. But what if his mountain of of debt was a psychedelic hallucination that he had on his mushrooms? Oh, yeah. Perhaps the mushrooms were a metaphor for PTSD in the war. My idea, all right, is that this is a secret agent, right, who starts experimenting with psychedelics, runs up a huge bar tab at an LSD bar, doesn't know what he's going to do, can't report this money, doesn't have money to pay it. His officers find out. They decide to send him undercover to Nazi Germany. Or he could be a Nazi, and they send him undercover to America. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's a little bit of... <laughs> let's send, yeah. Okay, let's stick with it. He's in the OSS, right? He loves doing mushrooms. They send him in to go infiltrate the Nazis' psychedelic users who are trying to use it oh. to open a portal you know they're to hell. Experiment- yeah, they're experimenting. Oh, and I then see Hitler, Hellboy. Hitler personally captured him and said, I'm not letting you go unless you give me $10 million. And he was like, I don't have $10 million. He's like, okay, well, you better go to the ATM and take it out and you'll be in debt. And he's like, well, I hate to give well, Hitler all this money, but I don't want to be stuck here. What so if he, went he has debt. to become a double agent? He agrees to work for Hitler and be like, oh, I'll work for you and spy on the OSS Americans and whoever the fuck they're working for. 
and then he betrays Hitler by destroying all of his drug stock. What are we uh what are we gonna call this, guys? Um keeping tabs. Hmm, keeping tabs. I need a little bit more like tabs of mushrooms. Oh, keeping tabs would be good for LSD. You know, that's that why would. I said it. Well, that's why I oh, said it. I thought you meant like it. a tab of like mushroom. A, I had a book where like the a, character, the main character was doing tabs of mushrooms. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I think you can do tabs of mushroom. I think it's like. Well, like he's like monitoring things. He's a secret agent, but he's also like he literally does tabs of LSD. I think, no, like I, re- I read something. Drug people mix mushrooms with like heroin and then they shoot it, I think. Yeah, that's how my that's, main character what? died in my in first a, book. In a, in a spoon. They do it in a spoon. All right. Well, like they grind it wait, up. Like, like in their mouth, like like it's food? Uh, they light a fire underneath it to cook it so that they can... So I guess it tastes better warm. Okay. Well, most food tastes well, better warm, so that makes perfect sense know. to me. Uh, should we do one more? Or should we get to our writing no, I think I'm kind of excited to share a writing sample. Uh, I think we should do one more. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's do it rapid fire, okay? We've proven right. we can do three. Let's do one more rapid fire. All right. He... The main character is Satan. <laughs> Satan right. is the main is the protagonist. Little taboo, as we were saying earlier, but okay. Okay, yeah. So we'll have Satan. Little twisted. Uh, the conflict is is going to be Satan getting his groove back. He needs to get his get his groove <laughs> right. back. So uh, he's not getting enough sinners, not getting enough souls, huh? Satan, it sounds like it might be a little bit lighthearted. Yeah, I think. this could be like a romp. Well, what's I the guess. subtext? Oh, the subtext is going to be social status and hierarchy. A commentary on social. Oh status. yeah, celebrities. You know, you know, famous people. I think this could be really fun. But what's the setting? Oh, all these celebrities are more famous than Satan now, so he wants to get his groove back by getting more famous on the Hollywood silver screen. Oh, and this is going to take place in South America. So it is going to be. Maybe he starts running cocaine through South America, makes a lot of money, and then he becomes a Hollywood movie star. Ooh, yeah, it could be just Satan. Like, it could just be a fun romp of Satan throughout history. Yeah. It could, we could do a Forrest Gump type thing where Satan keeps meeting, like, Pablo Escobar, and then he meets John Lennon. Well, here's you know, the thing. Fa- famous people from South America, like uh, George Lopez. Che Guevara. But, like, back in the day, you know, before we had culture and entertainment and fun stuff, Satan was, like, the second most famous guy ever, right? After oh, God. Oh, for sure. Just, God, then Satan, and he was always tired of not being the top dog. So he wants to be the top dog for the first time ever by getting more popular and famous than God. Oh, that's a good idea. And he has to do it on the Hollywood silver screen. Yeah, so he's got to go to South America first to get his groove back. Yeah, they'll teach him how to dance to uh, various rhythms marimba. that they have down there that we don't have these rhythms up here. You, you know, he's like, I cannot hear the, the marimba in North America. I must go... South for the river. So that's a that's a fun one. That's that's Satan uh, getting his groove back in South America, and the you know it's a commentary on social status and hierarchy. But then his brother is murdered. Okay, well that wasn't in the thing. That's not in the formula. So we're not. Gonna well, I mean, you could just add any. That's the formula. You could add. But who's Satan's brother? Lucifer. I thought they were Lucifer. That's what people think, but history has muddled things, see? So Satan has, does he have just one brother or multiple brothers? I think he has multiple brothers. So it's like the Satan brothers, and they're all getting famous? Hey, or just maybe they're a band, the Satan oh, brothers. Oh, that could be good if Satan And their had... sister, the singer Satina. Oh, yeah. Well, all the Satans aren't going to be named Satan. You're not usually, you don't usually have the same name as your brother. 
Uh, well, unless I mean, you're George Foreman's like kids. I mean, it's South America. That's true. Be like I a, forgot about a, George Foreman. He could be like a, a soccer player or a football player who just go by one name, you know? Oh. I didn't, know, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. The way oh. you said football, bowl, and Pele. Oh, He's like, probably been yes. researching for his novel if, if, you, if I had to take a Benny. guess. Oh, yes. There, it does take place in Cuba in a few parts, but. Well, you know what? We've been talking about this so much. Uh, why don't we go ahead and read our stories? I mean, we came up with four good stories here. So let's see. Right. Uh, Who's oh, first? I, I'm not too me. shy. Nose goes. Uh, Nose goes. I'm too shy. Uh, so. All right. All right. I can go first. GHJ, it's on you. All right. It's just, you know, a little context here. I was kind of saying earlier today that uh, I was on Stephen King's wiki and he was really inspiring me earlier. That was on October 31st. It was Halloween. And just he's so known for his spooky stuff. I was reading about him on Halloween. Then NaNoWriMo started the next day. And I was like, well, I don't have time to read any of his books. But over the month, I've watched uh, two of his movies. I watched Maximum Overdrive. And then I watched that one, Misery, about the author. And he's like, uh, you know, he's trapped or whatever. So that's like kind of my headspace coming up with a new... I'm trying to put a twist on Stephen King, I guess you could say. Kind of think of an idea that's at least 1% better than his. I'd love to hear it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just get right into it then. Do you mind if I take notes while I'm listening? Uh, all of this is trademarked and copyrighted, but uh, go ahead if it gives you a different inspiration. I'm not, it's not plagiarizing. There's just notes. Okay. Don't, I'm just saying. I'm just going to be right. As long as I can see down. the notes afterward to make sure you're not plagiarizing. <laughs> Pause off, pal. I know that one. I know that trick. Anyway, let's hear it. All right. Pendler Chandler Walden was the world's greatest author who had just had his new book, An Explication of Malice, go to number one on the New York Times bestsellers. To celebrate, he decided to drive out to his cabin in the woods and drink a nice fifth of whiskey alone, as he liked to do. He had written most of his acclaimed novels at the cabin. It was the only place he could write. Well, not quite. There was one other place. The Hollyhook Cafe, where the waitress, Penelope, who was also his biggest fan, worked. Penelope was always looking out for the great and famous author, asking him about his work and giving him free coffee refills. When his new book went to number one, she was possibly even more excited than he was. And when he told Penelope his plan to celebrate with a bottle of whiskey at his cabin, she expressed a lot of concern. After all, the roads were less safe these days. Ever since that comet caused cars and trucks to become sentient, the roads could be perilous for human travelers. The cabin, said Penelope, just be careful. You know how the roads can be these days, ever since the comet. Yes, the comet, said Pendler Chandler Walden pensively. I don't quite understand why it made those trucks come alive. I saw them explain it on the news, but they didn't spend much time on it. Everyone just kinds of accepts it now, but it happened very quickly. Yeah, anyway, I hope your whiskey tastes good and you have fun, she said. Uh-huh, he said, as he lit a cigarette indoors, even though it had been illegal in New York City for like 20 years. But she let him get away with stuff like that because he was a really tortured and mysterious author, as all authors are. Writing was really hard work, and an indoor <laughs> cigarette was mental health. The NYC Health Department had fined the diner many times for Pendler Chandler Walden's behavior, but since Penelope was just a poor and lowly waitress and not the owner, she didn't care. Anyway, imagine we're back on the highway now with Pendler Chandler Walden as he drives out to his cabin. The whiskey is in the passenger seat, wearing a seatbelt. 
I could live with myself if one of those son of a bitch trucks runs me off the road into a ditch, said the famous author. But I could never live it down if that whiskey bottle goes flying through the windshield and shatters all over the pavement. I've seen it happen too many damn times. A good whiskey bottle that ain't done nothing wrong to nobody <laughs> in this world shattered before it was time to go. Just then, a crazy truck started driving down the road in the wrong direction. By the way, it was wintertime, and there was snow falling all over the place. Pendler Chandler Walden is wearing his coat and mittens and a winter hat. If you were imagining him dressed for a different kind of weather, I am truly sorry. The renegade truck smashed right into the author's car, pushing it off the road and spinning it everywhere until it landed upside down in a ditch in the snow. In the chaos, Pendler Chandler Walden had grabbed for the whiskey bottle, saving it just before it hit the windshield. With his last strength, he chugged the entire fifth and then passed out. He awoke in a strange bed. It was daytime. Who could say how long it had been? He sat awake for an hour or two in this strange cabin until he saw a truck pull up to the outside window. Honk, 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 it said, opening the window. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I know how to talk in English. My name is Isabella the Truck. <laughs> I became sentient when that comet flew by the other day. Since then, I've been reading all of your books. You've been reading all my books? A truck? Yeah, I went to the New York Times bestseller list and went, what's number one right now? And then I read all your books because they've got to be the best if they're number one. Well, thank you, said Pendler Chandler Walden, but I didn't know trucks could read. We can since the comet, said Isabella the truck. Anyway, <laughs> just relax Jesus. there. I'll take care of you until you recover from your wounds. You have big tire marks all over your body from that mean truck who ran you over. I'm a nice truck, though, who will help you. Okay, said the esteemed wordsmith, whose penmanship, by the way, is also beyond reproach. I guess I'll just lie here and think about ideas for my next book. Your next book, said Isabella. Wow. I'd like to read an excerpt of that when you've got one. Okay, said the famous author, who was still presently number one on the NYT. After a week of bed rest, the author had finished his book excerpt and was feeling better. He thought he was good enough to get going, but Isabella the truck insisted he was not well enough to leave. What's more, she had read his new book part and was not happy about it. How come you don't write any protagonists who are trucks, she asked. I guess I never thought about it. It's just not a perspective I'm familiar with, I guess. Well, in this new book, the main villain is a truck and he runs over the author protagonist, she said. That is extremely biased against trucks and completely unrealistic, and it will create an anti-truck backlash in the human community. Well, it's based on something that really happened to me, the author said, but I'll keep your critiques in mind. The next day, the author was waiting in bed and getting hungry. <laughs> Normally, <laughs> Isabella brought him meals through the window. But on this day, suddenly, she smashed through the bedroom wall holding a bowl of soup in her truck hands. Lunch is served, she said. Holy shit, said the author. You just destroyed the wall of your own home. I was wondering why a truck lives in a normal human-sized cabin. Yeah, I don't really fit in here. I mostly hang outside so I don't ruin the house. But today I wanted to make you some soup in the kitchen and I had to smash through all the walls to do it. Damn, Isabella the truck, you are crazy. I want to get out of here now. I'm afraid I cannot allow that, she said with an evil grin on her truck face. Okay, well, damn, I wish I brought my gun with me, or whatever it is that you usually use to kill a truck. 
Ha ha ha, she said. I don't think you will be A E I D tab 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 G L B S W J D L D tab tab tab. And then there's a YouTube link to Aha's take on me because I was going to watch it, but I didn't watch it yet, but I didn't want to forget. So I put the YouTube link there and then I just kind of started doing some other stuff for a while. But that's it? Well, it's the month's not over yet. I'm still working. Oh, oh okay. that's true. Oh, I love it. I mean, so I'm not going to end the story with a YouTube link to Aha. I mean, well, I, I might actually, but I still want to add more to the story. I mean, if people are reading it on the computer, they'd just be able to click it. But, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I like the feel of warmth of pages of a real book in my hand. That's why, yeah. I, you know, I think I'm going to pay for mine to have printed. Yeah. But GHA Pemberbrook, I think it's uh, quite good so far. I really like the general vibes of sexual repression from the main character. Yeah, and, and I like the truck's motivations because she's not only a truck, she's like a woman, and that's important. And a crazy woman, too. And I don't know how like a female trunk would differentiate from a male truck, so that could be interesting to talk about. Well, she wants to fuck the author, I think. Oh, okay. I was wondering, but, you mm. know, I was wondering. But, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I called not it, so uh, maybe <laughs> sorry to do that to you, bud. But uh, you know, maybe you can go go ahead and go next because nose goes, and I got you. Uh, well, yeah, you did. You, I said, oh, I called nose goes, but you still beat me to it anyway. Um, yeah, I can read what I've been working on. Just an excerpt, just a little bit from it. Uh, this is pretty personal. This book, um, that I'm working on. Not really completed yet, obviously, but I call it Feathers for the Father. And it's about a younger man, um, not too young, but not old, certainly. His name's Johan. And Johan returns from New York City to his hometown of Thousand Islands, New York. And he's there to run his father's boat rental shop while he recovers, <clears throat> recovers from surgery. So... Johan, he's enjoying a break from the hustle and bustle of the big city. As we know, writers, you know, we love being in the city. And uh, we, we're all familiar of how crazy it can be. Uh, so, but, you know, Thousand Islands is a little bit more sleepy. And um, he's enjoying that. But things soon become a little bit more exciting when he runs to his childhood crush, Felicia Conway. Ooh. And the, the two begin a whirlwind romance that soon turns cold when Felicia reveals to Johan that she has the worst cancer in the world. Oh my God. Is that a specific type or? Yeah. The worst one that there is, she has it. Oh my God. Just the worst cancer. So just I'm going to go into this. I'm going to go into this passage here. Yeah. So that's okay. the synopsis. We'll just Google the worst cancer, I guess. The fog was spreading across the water as the sun began to rise. It was morning. Johan pushed through the screen door with his cup of coffee to look out upon the fog as it spread its tendrils over the drink. He could hear her standing behind him. You don't see mornings like this in the city, he said. Felicia, wrapped in a blanket, comes up behind him and wraps her arms around his torso. That's because you don't even have time for morning there. He chuckles. <laughs> You're not wrong. You know... This is the Thousand Islands. With all those cold buildings and lonely people in New York City, you can almost call that the Million Islands. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder why I even left this place. You're not the only one who wonders that, Felicia replies, her, her voice sounding dejected. 
He takes her in his arms and kisses her auburn hair, which smells like the morning. I'm here now, he assures her. But for how long? As long as it takes. Just because I'm sick. Because you're alive. Even if I ever caught the cancer from you, I wouldn't leave. Felicia wipes hot tears from her cheeks. But what about your dad? Johan looks out over the cool water in the morning sun. My dad will be fine. Me being here right now is the best thing I could do for him. Besides, they found that body upstream last month. I'm not leaving you. Felicia kisses Johan's lips with a kiss and smiles. You want another cup of coffee? Yeah, he replies, also smiling. So that's taken me about two weeks. Well, that's really good, though. Right. Oh, thank you. That's like half a book, I think. There's been so many um, books about the other kinds of cancer that aren't as tragic. I'm glad that someone's finally stepping it up to the most tragic kind. You know, it's about like we've heard so many types of cancers, like, and we don't even know which one's the worst. So to hear the worst, it's like that's how you know this book is it's serious. It's grave. Yeah, yeah. It's serious. Is she gonna die? Is he gonna get the cancer too from her? Probably. Are they both gonna die? Would it be wouldn't it be kind of sweet if they might die there together? And oh, it'd be so romantic. Just two idiots dying. Does he really want to go back to the the million islands of New York City where he's alienated from everything? Despite everyone living so close together and there being so many people. He sounds quite haunted, this protagonist. He sounds like something's bothering him. I didn't think about that. I think oh, you're you right. Did, you he's did. haunted. You didn't think about that? <laughs> no. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I got to write that down. Yeah, he's, That's he seems haunted. He seems like he, he acts haunted, like he's but haunted. But what is he haunted by? Oh, oh what if it's a talking truck woman? Is he haunted by her future ghost because she died from the worst cancer? Yes, what if she ha- beats the cancer by turning into a truck? All right, well, that's your that's book. That's your don't book bring about the truck. The truck. No, that doesn't happen in mine, but it's... Uh, yeah, I think mine was going to have a comment in it. Mine was going to have a comment in it, but I'm glad I cut it because then it would have been like we both had a comment or Yeah, that would have been awkward. When people who are fans of both of us read both of our books, they would be like, that's a little awkward. Yeah, they both have or a comment. Or they could be like, or... All right, well, I mean, I'm just spitballing here. We could do some tie-ins where people are like, these are taking place in the same universe. Oh, like a whole Dark Tower thing? Like well, I mean, like different authors, but we're tied oh, into the same universe. All three of us, right, right, just, right. Three of our books take place in the same universe. That's a great way to promote each other. Well, I mean, I kind of doing my own thing. I wouldn't say that. Like, well, I, I mean, let's hear yours, and then we could make this decision. Well, I because it's two to one right now, buddy. Well, if we vote that we want your hey, story and our story, it's my book. Universe. It's not a democracy, so I don't even have a comment in mine. You know. Well, you know, the fans. We could write fan fiction about it. Well, okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Rich. How about let's hear a little taste of your book and see what we think. All right. Well, uh, 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 just a quick thing. Uh, you know, my book's called the Manitoba, Manitoba Lineage, and it's about an archaeologist who uh, takes his family to his cabin and uh, you know for a vacation to kind of get away. They from find all a mammoth. Stuff. Well, no, underneath he finds a whole genetic library of an alien civilization. And, oh wow, that was yeah, way off. And uh, you know, all these animals, he can create all types of aliens and monsters now. But he's still worried, and he's trying to keep it a secret from his family. So, um, I don't want to give too much away. Did he find this stuff in permafrost? I you gotta have the permafrost. Well, it was there. underground in a chamber. I wanted it to be like a chamber. Ah. Anyway, this is called the Manitoba Manitoba lineage. Um. You gotta repeat it every time you say it. Not a great title. Well, sorry. Uh, you know, it's the month isn't over yet, so. True. All right. That's true. So I'll just start from the first chapter. I'll start right at the beginning. So this is the first chapter of the book. 
Uh, chapter one, sex ass. He grabbed her big <laughs> ass with his cool hand. It oh, felt we're starting good. in media res here. Wait, wh- I'm this sorry? This is like right off the rip. We're just going Can into I right read the action. Can I read it? Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Our sorry. lips are sealed. Just do your thing. <clears throat> he grabbed her big ass with his cool hand. It felt good because his hand felt super dope. He could just tell from the firmness and smoothness of her ass that her boobs must feel good, too. Can I touch your boobs, he asked. (laughs) Yes, she said seductively. She had olive skin and other features. There's more where that came from, too, she continued. Oh, yeah, he said, smiling. Like what? My pussy, she said. Damn, he said. As he grabbed her boobs, they felt cool and big. Enough foreplay, he said, smiling. I'm ready to fuck, fuck, fuck. He grabbed her ass and spun her around in the air like she was pizza dough, but fuckable. He grabbed his dick backwards like it was a knife in a knife fight in a movie. It looked cool and his penis, which was huge, which was cool. Because he worked so hard as a archaeologist... Uh, He deserved to have a big swinging piece, flopping around, spraying pheromones everywhere and making jaws drop. He put her on the bed and placed her pussy in front of him, and then he started fucking it. Holy shit, he yelled. Oh my God, this is amazing. You're my first man ever, she said. I know, he said, smiling. He was wearing sunglasses. (laughs) <laughs> her two big boobs looked like mountain, mountains bouncing around as he fucked her. He was good at fucking, and he could do it every single way. He smiled as she made the O face, which could only mean one thing. You're hitting my fucking G-spot, she said, throwing her hair back, going crazy and yelling. She was having an orgasm, and that meant her, pu- that meant her pussy was doing crazy things to his penis, which was huge, by the way. Now that that bullshit's out of the way, I can focus on making myself come, he said. Let me try, she said. She pushed the guy on his back and started riding his big dick like it was a damn roller coaster. It was his turn to make cool faces as he writhed around back and forth in ecstasy. I want to suck on your boobs, he yelled. And then he started sucking on her boobs. She started coming again because of him sucking on her boobs. Then he grabbed her ass and flipped it around and started blasting her doggy style. At this point, neither one was thinking about anything. They were nothing but pleasure switches flipped on, determined to suck every last ounce of cum and squirt out of each other like a couple of vacuum pumps. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. She paused a moment to take a deep look into his eyes. Aren't you worried about your... genetics? (laughs) Why is he worried about that? Aren't you worried about your hidden genetics? He ignored her and started fucking her really hard in a crazy European way. He didn't want to think about the genetics. He wanted to think about a world full of big, nude asses spread and waiting to get fucked and filled with his cream. This was a world he was a master of. This was a world that he understood. The world of women's bodies, of infinite gyrating asses ready for him to make them come. That was the world he lived in when he wasn't busy being an archaeologist. (laughs) Enough talk, he said while fucking her pussy. It's time to fuck pussy. Yeah, she said. Well, stop talking and start fucking. I am, he said. I know, she said. She's playing with my stuff, he thought. I got my little thingy out and she's goofing around with it. 
And she had a thought. This guy has got my insides all turned around. He might be fucking me too good even. I'm afraid my damn pussy's going to fall off. (laughs) And then they made out a bunch while fucking. The room that they are in started to fucking get really humid because they are sweating and fucking so much. It starts to stink like an old sink full of dirty dishes in the room (laughs) that they were fucking in. They were doing all the signs of great sex. They were scratching each other's back, pulling hair, ripping each other's clothes in half. Her pussy was farting in a way that was really elegant, and he was making Chewbacca sounds as he whipped his dick around like a maniac. (laughs) This sex is awesome, he said. I'm probably going to come a ton. Oh, yeah, she said. I hope you got enough cum in those nuts for me. This cum is your name written all over it. It stinks and it's sticky and it's coming straight for you. This dick is maxed out and red as fuck. If it doesn't come, it is going to fucking explode like a stick of dynamite. Now, why don't you put your big tits in front of my big dick so I can come, come, come? Damn, he thought. I don't think this cabin has ever seen two (laughs) sex-crazed nymphos bruise each other's genitals so badly. This is a pretty nice room, though. Let's see if it's still nice after I blast ropers all over it. Let's see if it is stain-proof. This whole room is about to smell like the Dead Sea. He blasted her pussy some more, and then he felt a big surge in his nuts. It was his nuts telling his brain to tell his dick that it was time for cum (laughs) to shoot out of it. He felt good, and it felt good, and he was screaming words like fucking shit because it felt so fucking good. He looked at her big boobs and butt and her face and at all of her specific facial features, so it was more dramatic. I mean, romantic. He unsheathed his Rodney from her femininity, and it looked two feet long and angry as fuck. I knew I was going to... (laughs) I knew I was going to fuck you from the second I grabbed your ass, he said. That's awesome, she said. That hand showed up on my ass like that white whale in that book about the whale. The only white whale here is going to be this whale of a load of big white cum, he said. Awesome, she said. Oh, my God, he said. I'm coming. I'm coming now. I'm coming everywhere. I really am coming. Oh, look, there it goes. I'm just blowing this cum everywhere. You must be loving this. You must be going absolutely bonkers for this white hot cum. Holy smokes. I'm coming all over your big boobs. I'm coming all over your big butt. I'm even coming all over your face and on the wall and also on the ceiling. And also, I came all over my uniform from my job as an archaeologist. (laughs) Wow, I'm almost done coming now. I simply can't believe it. I cannot believe how much cum I've already came. Oh, there's still some more cum that is shooting out of me. And also, my favorite thing about coming is that it feels really, 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 really good. And also that it is easy for me to do. I can tell you are having a great time for my coming because you are just loving it and I'm loving it too. Okay, almost done coming now. It's wrapping up now. Oh, looks like I had a second win. I guess I'm not done coming. Okay, this is it, I think. I think it's done. Oh, whoops, just one more load there. And I'm done. I have officially officially finished my orgasm. You're welcome. She stared at him with a wry grin. There was so much slime on the wall that it looked like an alien insect hive from a sci-fi movie. She was completely glazed and just laid there like if a nude woman was a donut that was covered in glaze. She leaned onto his shoulder as he collapsed into the bed and he fell instantly asleep. 
As she snored, <laughs> or as he snored, she stared lovingly at this man she had just met five minutes ago. But she thought about a rumor she heard. Be careful, she warned herself. I heard that this guy has a secret genetic cave under his cabin. She grabbed a rag and started to clean herself up. Well, that's all I have so far. What was that book called again? The Manitoba Lineage. Hmm. I'm sure it gets to that later, huh? Uh, at the beginning, you got to just... Well, I think he's an archaeologist, right? Yeah, it's mentioned multiple times he's an archaeologist, so... All right. Well, I already told my uh, friends and family and church group and coworkers to listen to this episode when it comes out. I was so excited to be on the podcast. I hope. Uh, yep. Uh, I did the same, and I'll be sending it out in my uh, newsletter to all my subscribers. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. I gotta go. I guess this is how James Joyce felt when his he couldn't say stuff about panties or doo doo. <laughs>